Hi everyone, welcome to Duga Podcast. I am Rob Watson and I've got a really interesting guest lined up for you today. His name is Marcus, Marcus Pibworth. And I have known about Marcus for a few years. I came across him in Positive News Magazine, which I support through this podcast. Um, and I was skipping through the um, magazine and I noticed um, Marcus's, Marcus lined up next to this pretty cool looking van and also hearing that he had a podcast. And I'm pretty sure it was around about the time I was thinking about doing this podcast. And so I was interested in that. And then recently I've connected with him because he does a, a monthly men's group where we connect and we talk and we get to be open and vulnerable and talk about all sorts of things and um, that's going on in our lives and just it's a safe place to be so um, I'm really enjoying them so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to, to speak with Marcus and to hear him so first of all Marcus thank you for chatting with me today. Well thank you for having me inviting me onto your podcast it's exciting. You're very welcome so first of all I know I've, I've given a, a brief info about how I got connected with you and your background ever so slightly if you could just give us a little bit of a little overview of um you know what you kind of currently what your passions are or what you've been doing in your life and stuff and yeah certainly well there's a few things um that I mean I I could define myself as a, I guess the main thing I do in terms of passion in terms of work at the moment is storytelling I'm, I'm a storyteller uh and that, that informs a large part of what I do. The other thing which is very present right now is fatherhood, because I am the father of a 10, nearly 10 month old little girl, Freya. So um, I'm sure, I, I know you're a father with a young child as well. So I'm sure you can relate to that sort of being quite encompassing <laughs> of, uh, of everything and taking up a, a lot of time, which is, is good. Uh, in some ways and tiring and um yeah so that uh, yeah and um I guess they're the two main threads I'm following at the moment and then obviously like you said I'm holding the men's group every month and that, that's the online online men's group and that's the sort of free space for men to come and sort of you know, share and be vulnerable which I felt was important and that sort of came out of um well, firstly, it came out of me wanting to have a space. It was also I was running some storytelling groups for men, and I felt that this was would be a nice addition to that to have a sort of free space that men could join every month and just to know it was there every month. Um, yeah, so they're they're really the um, the threads of that, and it's interesting actually that we're, we're talking, and you bring up uh, the sort of the positive news article. I can't remember when that was. I mean, it feels like a long time ago now. I guess it was quite a few years ago. I don't think I've been featured in any magazines since then. <laughs> that was maybe that was my uh, my glory days. Uh, but um, yeah, because I guess that's sort of the threads where um, where all these threads started. Really, doing that project uh, it was called Ministry of Change, and like you said, I had a podcast, and I lived in my van. And that really sort of was the, I guess it was a really big turning point starting that project led, led to me now. And we, we can go into more into detail about that uh, if, if you're interested. Um, I think I'd like yeah. to jump off at that point really, because yeah. um, a few of the listeners will know that I'm uh, currently converting a van ourselves and excited about the possibilities of being on the open road and moving about quite freely, quite, cost effective as well really um and we'll see how it unfolds so i'd like to know yeah a little bit more about that so you lived out you lived in a van and how far you traveled were you on your own you know a little bit about that and how that kind of blended in with your podcast that'd be interesting yeah well i mean the whole living in the van thing i mean it originated because i had uh, I, I was helping lead a project with a friend where we drove a group of sort of 19 to 21 year olds around the UK for six weeks. Um, and that was sort of part of, I had already, I was living in Brighton at the time and I had this deep sense of sort of dissatisfaction, unsatisfied feeling of being there and everything that I was doing at the time. And I wanted to go and explore the country and I wanted to also explore alternative ways of living. And I didn't have any sort of contacts into that world 
and I was running an event and I just sort of in the break time shared this sort of feeling with someone I knew that had visited I'd just met but they had I think cycled to a couple of different communities like these intentional communities and I really just said to her sort of like oh I'd like to do that but I don't really know how and then I had a tap on the shoulder and someone else I'd just met it turned out that they were running this project and they needed someone to help them you know and I did sort of um and ah think like oh but can I really I've got like you know a flat and a partner and a girlfriend and a you know all the things tying me to a place and uh in the end I just thought no I have to do this so I spent six weeks and we had just borrowed a minibus and we just drove all around the UK visiting really fascinating people I didn't I mean we went to incredible places there's a place in um Totnes called Schumacher College and we met people like Satish Kumar and the storyteller Martin Shaw. We met, went to Stroud and met the eco-side lawyer Polly Higgins, who sadly passed away since then, and, and went to, up to Scotland. So there's the Sami Ling Tibetan Monastery and, and it, like, all these different places. And when I got back, you know, I got back to Brighton after this and I just thought, you know, I can't go back to living in my apartment and doing this after seeing what is out there and seeing that there are different ways of living and so I sort of left everything and I bought a van and I actually bought the first van I converted myself with my brother who was training to be a carpenter and I really just wanted to go out and explore I didn't really have a plan I just I'd been going through quite a serious phase of depression and I really all I wanted to do was explore what that was and I knew for me, and I, I can't speak for other people, I knew for me that it didn't feel medical. Like it felt like, and it felt like the environment I was in was not conducive to me being a good sort of fulfilled human being. So I wanted to go and explore. So really the van came out of this sort of desire to go and talk to people. And then the podcast also came out of that because I felt at the time, you know, I could just go and ask random people, can I talk to you about depression? But I felt it worked better if I had something to sort of, a, a vehicle, I mean the van, but also the podcast, a sort of vehicle to sort of introduce myself, you know, say I've got a project rather than I'm just like someone that wants to chat, like I've got a project. And so I created this project, Ministry of Change. I lived, I got the van, converted it and then just spent a lot of time driving around. Actually, it turned out to be nearly three years driving around the UK, mostly. I did go on a bit of a foray once into to Sweden and around sort of Northern Europe, but mainly it was in the UK. Just really recording conversations with people. And it started off recording conversations about depression, but I really, really quickly realized that that was sort of too narrow for what I wanted and I, and I started to realize that you know everyone has a story everyone experiences difficult things in life so I started just sort of meeting with wherever I went I basically put out a call via social media or by people I knew saying I'm going to be here for like for you know for two days for a week for a fortnight and I'd like to meet people around there and so that's sort of the way I got talking to people yeah, and then most of the time I lived in my van and it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was, I mean, it was difficult sometimes, and especially at the beginning when I was still sort of working through quite a lot of stuff. I did remember feeling quite lonely, but I felt that was important, important to be, be with that loneliness. And actually that was, sort of really transformational to sit with that loneliness if I don't know if that really makes sense to but yeah. it did it does does to me um yeah I mean I don't know what you want to know really about the, the van life I guess well what, one thing me. interesting you know it sounds what why I admire is you first going on that bus journey around the UK for six weeks wherever it was with um, and that project with young people 
and then coming back and thinking, you know, I've got to make this change. I've got to do something. But being brave enough to make it. And you said you had a girlfriend at the time. So and it sounds like you traveled solo. So, um, you know, that must have. Yeah. You know, however, however, that transformed to allow you to, to you know, the flat and stuff like that. And I admire, because you could have, you could have gone back after those six weeks and thought, well, I've got a job, got a flat, live in Brighton, girlfriend, and go, well, this is just it type thing, back to it. That was a good little six-week trip. And just, But you're like, no, you know, it's sort of following. State For me, it's about taking the road less travelled, being brave, knowing your head can come up with a million and one reasons not to do it. And, you know, but your heart was saying, I've got to do this. So I really admire, I really admire that side of it. Well, you know what? Um, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was really difficult that time. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the relationship ended and I sort of left the flat we were sharing together and those things. But I, I feel it was sort of, I mean, it was sort of mutual. We sort of knew when I went away, the things were right. And you know what? For maybe a year and a half before that point, I'd had this recurring just image in my head constantly that I wanted to take all my belongings outside and just get a sledgehammer and smash smash everything I just wanted to smash everything up and there was this period for I mean probably like the first year I guess of living in the van I didn't know exactly the time where I just didn't know you know did I like was it a mistake like will I look back on this and think oh my god what have I done or will I look back on this point and think that was the you know, that was the turning point. That was the point that I did something and I really didn't know. And it got probably like close to a year where I sort of looked and saw like, interestingly, I I felt like I had sort of, I'd always imagined physically destroying my life with a sledgehammer. And I realized I'd sort of metaphorically done that. And it was so liberating. And I felt after a, a, some time passed, I, I, I could clearly see that it was the right path. I had made a decision which I didn't regret, and I still don't regret it. I mean, I can't imagine what life would have been like if I'd just come back and continued. But it wasn't easy. And it's still not easy all the time now. I mean, it's, it's, but uh, definitely, I feel like I've sort of you know, I have this feeling now that when stuff isn't so easy, that at least I'm chosen this way, not just sort of going along like I feel like I was before, just like doing what I thought I needed to do. And then when you feel miserable, you think, well, like, I'm just miserable and there's no sort of silver lining. There's nothing that I'm doing that I'm really that invested in. But I think once you've chosen your own path, even when stuff gets difficult and there's bad days, you I have the sense, well, at least this is what I want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And just that element where you're saying, there, you know, how doing that metaphorically, um, putting a hammer to your old life by going doing that, but that element, you know, of feeling liberated. Because I think yeah. a lot of us can feel that we are tethered to um, a lot of the conditioning from society that has been drummed into us basically from childhood of what a life looks like, what success looks like, how you should be, you know, and and it does take bravery. And you do have to basically put a hammer to that idea, don't you? And be like, actually, no, I'm going to break free from that. And you get an opportunity to see that there's another way, there's a different way. There can be a better way. It's challenging. And like you said, you're questioning stuff, but often we're questioning stuff because I feel anyway that I'm getting pushed to my edges. And when you go into your edges, it's uncomfortable. And you don't want to, and sometimes often we'll retreat because that's the bit. But actually, as you mentioned, that liberating, often when you push through that, there is freedom at times on the other side of that. And I, would, I, I for me, like I am, um, well, I think much maybe inspired us with the van, potentially life. Now, I don't know how far we're going to go with it. You were in a different position back then. You didn't have your wife. You didn't have your, your young daughter. It, it may not be as simple to just say, I'm going to go live in a van for three years. Um, when, you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't really imagine living full time with um, me and Ruth and Stella in a van, but especially not in the UK in the, these winter months. 
and how mm. the wind has been recently. Um, uh, so yeah, I've been inspired by um, quite a few. You know, there's certain documentaries and films, but there's there's one particular film, um, Captain Fantastic. Oh uh, yeah, Captain Fantastic's basically the. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that film. You mean the film? Or, yeah, the film. Oh no, there's is the yeah. Is there a documentary as well? I think there might be. I'm not sure. Is there a documentary? Is, is it is it actually based on anyone's like story? Ah, uh, maybe I'm getting that wrong. Anyway, the, I, I don't know the film. I love that film. Incredible film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I think you know me and my wife at the moment are trying to sort of think about the next step with our little family, and you know, definitely there's that the sort of thoughts of that film come into my mind quite a lot where we when we're trying to sort of have a think about what we want for our family I don't think probably quite as extreme as that but definitely learning taking elements of that I think in that, that film, film the um we talk about it the ideal scenario is actually how he ends up and where he's kind of had a little bit of a middle ground anyone who's not yeah. watched the film to start off with he's basically living in a forest with about his seven kids um everything's wild homeschooling everything incredible children um but at the end they kind of have a halfway house so it looks like they have a home the bus that they lived in has been cut of converted into the chicken coop some of the kids go to the local school and i think i like the element of it um were yeah because you know even even now like um i don't know we'll get onto this with fatherhood and stuff and maybe that's how we'll move into it now is um like it's it's really it's really challenging and parenthood generally and particularly for the mother um in many ways because you know they're carrying it they birth the birth wow you know the the respect that you have for um the the lady in our lives when when you see what they go through and how they bring that food it's just like it's just you know it's mind-blowing like it's the most creative thing like, I, I i'm a creative um and i can create stuff in the world but there's nothing even comes close to being able to create a child like that um but moving on from that, it's kind of, it's challenging to way, look at the way we live. You know, we live on these, well, the way, you know, we live in these streets, we live in these houses and it can feel very segregated, very separated. And, um, and it feels to me, I, I very much tune more into say maybe how maybe Native American tribes would live or other tribes, you know, there'd be probably about 150 in those tribes. It, it, would, it takes like a village to raise. I, I always think about that phrase, like it takes a village to raise a child. And you just think how rich that must be. And, um, and I don't think we're going to go living in the woods with 150 people, but we may move into some sort of community. Maybe it's like a, a co-housing or some sort of community hub, but it's a space where you can come and connect. Like I know my wife's found it some challenges sometimes. Like, you know, it can be, it can be lonely. Um, you're talking about loneliness sometimes in the van on that first year, but it can also be lonely being a parent at times, especially if all your other people or your friends, maybe their kids aren't, they're older or you've not got kids yet and they don't quite grasp what you're going through. Um, yeah, I'll leave, I'll leave that a little bit there and see what you want to open up to. Yeah, I mean, the, the parenthood thing is interesting, isn't it? I mean, as I said, because I'm a new parent, it, it's been, I mean, this year and, you know, the build up to it has, it's all been about fatherhood and parenthood. And yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely uh, loneliness comes into it. I mean, I, I found as a father, I mean, we, me and my wife moved sort of back to the area where my family are from, just uh, not necessarily intentionally, just because we have a baby in, we were had nowhere to be and lockdown and stuff was happening and so we sort of found ourselves there and you know it's been this this time you know there's literally been isolation because people have been told they're not allowed out of their house so and then at the same time I think parenthood anyway is probably has elements of isolation anyway because you're sort of going through this big translation uh, transition into a different way of living and I certainly found that me and my wife where we are haven't had a huge amount of contact with other parents uh, or especially not new parents you know there's maybe sort of people with lots of experience of you know sort of they have that are sort of have grown up kids and stuff but less so we've had contact with uh with mothers and fathers sort of our own age with our own sort of 
going through a similar thing. And I think that's been difficult for both of us. I mean, I've started uh, only last a few weeks ago, me and another friend who's a storyteller in Belgium, we started doing this storytelling space for fathers, specifically for fathers. And that really came out of the fact that both of us, he was at his house in Belgium with a baby two months older than mine. And I was here in uh, in England in the same situation and realizing that both of us were in a similar situation where we didn't, the closest, we were, he was the father I spoke to most and he was in Belgium and and I was the yeah vice versa and we felt like okay there's probably a lot of people like this and as we we'd all we'd, we're both storytellers we'd for a couple of years been throwing doubt around ideas of doing something together and this felt like oh hang on this is the time it's just arrived so we started this space mythic fathers which is really a space for fathers to come together every month it's a free space and it's just to either yapper or I will tell a story and then we sort of use that as a jumping off point to reflect on our own experience as being a father and uh, again like, like with all the work that I do really it always stems out of I want this I want to do this because I need it you know I need the work I've done before I did a lot of work with men's group and storytelling because I wanted a men's group the men's group we talked about at the beginning the monthly one is because I at the time I didn't have a fixed location and I wanted to be part of a men's group and I couldn't really find anything that I could be part of so I thought I'll start an online one and you know it's I think that's and the fatherhood workshops as well the storytelling for fathers mythic fathers it's called that's um again it springs out of a need to connect with other fathers and uh, yeah, fatherhood's an interesting one, isn't it? It sort of makes you flips your whole world upside down. It's really sort of wonderful, beautiful, joyous, and at the same time, it's confusing. Uh, always, and every day is learning, but in a different way. You know, I had this sort of idea at one point that you need to sort of before I have children, I need to sort of have sorted everything out <laughs> and then you get to a point where you realize you're never going to sort anything out so we decided to have a child anyway and then I realized that I'm not the one that needs to teach her things and in fact she has so much wisdom and the very first time I looked into her eyes just sort of holding her I just thought oh I've got this all wrong like I thought I thought she would know nothing and I'd have to fill her with knowledge and I now look into her eyes and realize I know nothing and she needs to fill me with knowledge and uh you know every day of sort of trying my best make mistakes and then carry on and learn from them and sort of try not to make the same mistakes again or at least make them in a different way and I think we chatted about this before actually maybe in, in a separate time about it, realizing that it's not this it's not about not making mistakes it's about handling sort of those mistakes it's about sort of standing by them and and sort of learning and and it's what you do to help your child i think the story i shared with you was when i um the first time i made my daughter cry I, she was tiny and i walked out of the door and forgot to gauge that there was a tiny little hand now on the edge of my arm and I brushed too close and caught her it squished her hand in between the door and the door frame and she started crying she did one of those sort of I don't know if you have children you probably know this look where she sort of she didn't cry she just opened her eyes really wide and had her mouth open for what seemed like an eternity and then her eyes sort of oh, went into laugh. little little slits and was just like the most you know heartbreakingly loud cry and I thought I did that and it really affected me at the time it was really and it was only through sort of speaking to other fathers and, and other people not just fathers that sort of made me realize that oh these things are going to happen and 
obviously that was completely unintentional. I hadn't, I didn't want to hurt my daughter, but I accidentally did. Um, but it's about how you sort of go through that and how you sort of, how you look after your child in that situation and how you sort of learn just to stand a little bit further away from the door when you walk through the next time and, you know, those sort of things. We're always going to make mistakes as humans. And so there's, you can't try, to, you can't not make mistakes. I mean, you can try, but you're not going to succeed. Yeah, I think if we go about life thinking we're not going to make mistakes, then we're not really going to do much with our life. We're going to be in a place of, yeah, no, not trying, not saying, because, you know, I remember you telling me that story about um, when you caught your little daughter's hand. And I think I, I shared then in, in response about the time when I then, I think I had made porridge for my daughter and I, I tasted it, it was fine for me, but I, I didn't, and then I gave it to her and it was too hot. And I had literally burned in her mouth, you know, she was, I could see she was in like a lot of discomfort and just seeing that look on her, that look on her face and, and thinking, I've done that. And like, gosh, you know, um, but yeah, you do, you, de you definitely, you learn along the way. And it's, I think it's, it's good just to be open to just talk about these things. Cause I, sometimes I speak to some people and they're either, they're either super mum and dad, or they're just lying through the teeth that everything's fine, you know. And it's interesting, I think we went to something in the weekend. That was what it was. We've had a couple of pretty rough nights with our daughter. Um, she's had some colds and croup and stuff like that. And, you know, we're getting like two, three hours sleep. I think I said to you before we come on, I almost pulled the plug on this chat today because I've had about five hours sleep over the course of two days and just up with the door and stuff. And we went out on somewhere last Saturday and we managed to use the term like pull ourselves together and look pretty respectable and, and, and pull like clean and well, well dressed and stuff and probably look like, you know, well, you know, look at them with, with their daughter. And I'm like, you don't, you don't even know the half of it and look around at other parents and as well, you know, they've managed to, and it's, it's such a, it's like, you know, obviously we're going to generally, well, I'll generally have a shower before I'll go out into public or, you know, dressed well or something like that if I can. But um, I think it's really important to, to open up because um, I've never, it's definitely being a father is the most incredible thing, the most rewarding, most special thing, seeing that little little bundle of joy. Now our daughter's 16 months and she's starting to walk and she's talking and each day she's learning something new. It's beautiful to see, but it's it's also the... The most, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. Absolutely. I'm going to be 42 in a couple of weeks. And I had it easy before, before she came along. Um, I had a charm life. And, but obviously I would not swap anything at all. But you realise you just, yeah, from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep and then if they keep waking up you know you've got to be there and you're going to be there with them for, for many years but it's also so beautiful and as you said i loved what you said about you're going to learn more from them than you can pass on and i i've spoken about that and put in this podcast about I, I i said that actually to my daughter my wife had to go off um and i had her with me for about 30 minutes just I had my shirt open and she was just tucked in on my chest and tucking asleep. And I just had this first opportunity to connect with her and speak to her. And I was just saying, like, I'm just going to do my best to be here to kind of, you know, uh, guide you um, and help you. But I know that you're going to teach me far more than I can possibly um, think. And I'm, I'm going to do my best to help you remember who you are and where you come from. Um, and it's so, it's so true. And I think a term someone that I saw the other week and they basically use this term, you know, becoming a father or even actually having a daughter, we use the term of, it makes a man out of you. And I feel like that's happening for me. Like, I can see that. Like, I'm in my 40s now and maybe I'm starting to become more of a man rather than a, more than a boy in some ways or a, um, become much more mature. So it's a beautiful dance and it's messy and it's the unpredictability of it. Like, in my life before it, I kind of... I could have a resemblance of like control or knowing that if I did this and this and this, it would lead to something. But with her around, you know, it can just, everything can go out the window, you know, completely. And you've got to be open to, 
I, I use a term I expect the unexpected with it. And it's it's kind of one of the greatest spiritual lessons really for me to, to, to truly surrender and just accept, accept what is. Like if we're up in the middle of last night and she was waking up over and over and she's either on the wife or coming over to me to be settled. And all you want to do is just lie down and sleep. It's like, well, no, this is the way it is now. I can't, I can't change this moment so much. I just have to be with it. Um, so yeah, it's beautiful. One thing I'd love to go on a little bit more about is um, talk about the storytelling. And if you've got a story now that you can open up to, great, but you don't have to, if anything pops to mind. Um, or you can just tell us a little bit more about how that kind of came about, uh, the the gift of storytelling or the, or the passion for it and, and how that how that creative, I often think of something like that, of being that creative, having that creative outlet and how important that is. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the storytelling itself, I mean, it came out of, I've always enjoyed sort of writing and that sort of thing, but the storytelling in the way I do it now, sort of oral storytelling, it really came out of that journey, the, the Ministry of Change, the mental health stuff, talking, I started talking about my own journey, you know, my own story, my own sort of experiences, with my mental health, in a very, you know, in a biogra- autobiographical, you know, go be invited sometimes to events and go and talk about sort of that journey um what the the sort of experiences I had and how to how I navigated it and after a couple of years of doing that I got to this point where I just felt like okay I I know it's helpful to people but it doesn't feel like it's helpful to me anymore talking in that capacity just go it felt like almost like I'd sort of turned a corner it felt sort of quite distant and I felt like I want something there's something more I can do here and I'd sort of had these sort of ideas around you know I'd like to tell story I, I liked stories but I didn't really have this understanding of what exactly how that could fit in and then I started meeting a few people that were storytellers you know they said so what do you do I'm a storyteller and a few people had said to me oh you're a storyteller and I felt like oh no I'm I don't know if I really am I'm worried that I might meet one of these people that are a storyteller and they will sort of question me and catch me out and realize that I hadn't sort of you know got a PhD in storytelling or whatever I believed you need to do uh so I so I but then I started sort of coming across different people and that were storytellers and speaking to them and realizing that there is an incredible power in those old stories that sort of in a way they're, they're magical and they they have a lot of answers but more so more importantly they have a lot of questions they help question and a lot of these stories have come down you know for thousands of years or hundreds of years or maybe some of them like really far back and they all contain nuggets of human wisdom in them and I and then I came across uh different people there's there's, I mean there's a well-known storyteller in the UK called Martin Shaw there was a there's a whole movement in America from the late 80s 90s of storytellers there's a guy called Robert Bly who just passed away just before Christmas I think he's a I mean it was about 90 I think when he died and and another storyteller or mythologist called Michael Mead and they're all using these old tales to help people dig into their life to sort of unpack what they're going on and obviously there's people like Joseph Campbell who wrote this I don't know if you've I'm sure a lot of people will have come across it, the hero with a thousand faces, which is sort of like the hero's journey. And they're all, there's a lot about archetypes and that sort of thing. It's like people going on a journey and overcoming obstacles. And and I started to see, oh, hang on, this is, this really appeals to me. This really feels right. And so, uh, and then I found that there's a place called Emerson College in East Sussex and it has a place called the uh, International School of Storytelling and 
I that that project I had talked about before the, with the young people in the minibus that had been I'd done that with someone that had been part of that community there and they and people had kept pointing me in that direction and eventually I found myself at the school of storytelling and really through that place discovering this medicinal power that could be held in in the words of the stories and and so I moved into I moved more away from telling my own story just outright and more into okay how can I present a story and allow the story to do the do the sort of work really the stories contain all they need to contain and you as a storyteller you as with I, I think it sort of works with any sort of creative pursuit you you become like the channel for something that which already exists which is much higher and I, I think anyone that's creative in some way will know that you know you you sit down and think right now I want to write a poem and I want it to be beautiful and I want to it to contain this theme this theme and this theme you sit down and spend you know a week going back and forth over the lines of this well this is my experience anyway and then you're out walking in a field and suddenly the whole poem just arrives in your head and you haven't done any work it's almost like it's come from a different place and I think the stories I feel like that as well They're, they they exist around you and you just need to sort of channel them out and there's a beautiful story that it's, it's actually I, I could share a story here which which um uh, one of a friend of mine, a mentor, Roy Galore, he's a wonderful storyteller. And he told me the story once, and it's about um it's about an archer. Are you ready for the story, but I am <laughs> they'd like to just I'm, I am always bring a story on someone. Yeah, it's really short, but there's an archer and he's really good at archery. Really like he wins all the competitions in the kingdom, and it gets to the point where he's just got no one to compete against. There's no one that comes anywhere near his standard. And he thinks, right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to explore and I'm going to find someone to sort of match me. I want to find someone to really give me a good, good sort of competition. And so he starts traveling around sort of different kingdoms, different places. And everywhere he goes, he enters the archery competitions and he, he wins all of them. And he never in any of these travels finds anyone that comes anywhere close to his skill at archery and so he you know he's downhearted and he decides I'm just going to give up and go back I have to just go back back home and he travels a long way and on his way back he passes through this village which he hadn't seen before and as, as he's walking along he starts to see these little red targets everywhere like on the on the on trees on the doors wooden walls of houses and all of these arrow all of these red little red targets they have an arrow right through the bullseye and he thinks this is incredible incredible he said i've after all the searching i've eventually found it i've found the archer that can match my skill and he got, starts asking people where is this famous archer that lives in your village and they said what famous archer we don't have a famous archer living here and he asks everyone and, and no one knows and he sits down he breathes out sits down and sigh on the bench and an old woman walks past and he says do you know where this archer is and she looks a bit confused at first and she smiles and says oh yeah yeah i do wait here i'm gonna go and get them she goes off she's quite a long time and he thinks maybe she's not coming back and then he sees her and to his surprise skipping along behind her is a tiny little girl tiny little girl and this little girl has a little bow she has a little quiver of arrows on her back he's skipping along he thinks this i i just don't understand i've trained for years to get this and it, but as he watches this little girl reaches in her quiver and she takes out an arrow and thumbles it into the string and she pulls it back and she fires and goes straight across and it goes boom into a tree and then he watches as she skips over and she gets to the tree and she reaches in her pocket and pulls out a red chalk and draws target around the arrow 
And uh, yeah, that's uh, rather than me sort of explaining how the stories work, I feel that story, you know, as a storyteller, you, you fire an arrow, but the people listening, they will have their own red chalk and they, you know, they draw the draw the target themselves. So you, I think that's why the stories matter. I found it in the men's group and in this Mythic Fathers group, I do one called Stories for Men and one called Mythic Fathers. And they're both sort of the same format. You tell a long, I tell a story, it's too long to share one here. They're, you know, usually about sort of half an hour, at least the stories, but they stop and break, you know, tell 10 minutes and then have a sort of discussion and go back into the story. And it's incredible because, you know, I can spend ages preparing the stories, working on the story, you know, trying to find the sort of symbolism and meaning in the story. And then I tell it and all the people have seen something completely different. And that's wonderful. And so I feel that's why I feel so passionate about storytelling in this space of, sort of mental health and vulnerability and opening up because I think it, can reach people in much deeper ways than just saying, right, tell me everything that's going on in your life. And uh, because that's, you know, that's causes people to freeze and panic. You know, I, I really appreciate sharing that story. Like something about stories as well, like they capture your imagination. So as you're chatting through that, you know, I am, I'm going on this journey. I'm imagining, my imagination is running wild, imagine this guy moving from his kingdom, going from place to place in search and stuff like that, and all across. And uh, something I, I find beautiful about stories, it, it, it allows you to be present and just be in the moment to listen. And I imagine as you're saying that, that we're around a campfire and, you know, it's it's gone dark and we can, you know, see the stars and stuff and we're just listening. It's just going around from, from each person and... Um, yeah, I can really, uh, I can massively see the benefits and all that. Um, it's beautiful. And so you're, you say some of the 30 minutes ones, you're literally, you're, you know, you'll come to well, your own stories. It's your own imaginations. Like you said, you're tapping into something else. Is, is it that, or sometimes are you sharing another story that, um, that you've heard? Oh no, most of the time it's not, I don't write the stories most, I mean, it's sometimes, but mostly it's, uh, it's, I tell folk tales or fairy tales quite often, uh, usually phrase it wonder tale, because that's a, tends to not scare men off too much, but you know, I like wonder, it, tale. Those, wonder tale, that's, a, I think the sort of more grown up terminology for fairy tale, basically. Uh, I tell like a brother's grim essentially my job at the moment is getting a group of grown men to sit around and listen to fairy tales and talk about uh the sort of deeper things in life which is wonderful yeah. uh but uh but sometimes have to sort of you know mask it in more sort of language of mythology because I don't know people have connotations of what you know the story like so often when people hear I'm a storyteller they say so what do you do you tell stories to kids and I'm like, well, you know, actually, I have sometimes recently told stories to kids, but only really since I've become a father. And it, I haven't really got much experience telling stories to kids. I feel like I tell stories to, you know, Brothers Grimm story to a grown man is much more. Uh, I feel that's much more. I'm not going to say in my comfort zone, but much more in my. Um, that's what I want to do. I think that's. That's the, that's my passion, my area of passion. Um, yeah, so no, but anyway, to answer your question, I, they're mostly uh, myths and stories that exist already. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, we, I remember you telling a real story in one of yeah. our men's groups about, um, I was completely captivated by it. Um, the what, if you, is it, I think you were, were you on a bike. Was it a bike? Or I, in, oh yeah. Were, yeah, were, you, were you in far, the far east somewhere? Or? Yes. No, I know which story. The um, yeah, it was when I was living in Beijing, and 
actually the story I, I, have, I have been trying to work this story into a, a longer one because sometimes what I do is we'll tell a you know myth or a, a myth or a folktale and weave in personal experiences in between it and that's really powerful and I haven't actually managed to do that uh, successfully with this one yet but the story without the, the story itself I, I can tell it's and I know I mean yeah basically I was living in China I lived in China for about five years in total four and a half years various different places um, and there was a period while I was there where definitely everything was not going well. I would say I was having like quite, I guess like this was an early episode of quite severe depression. I don't know if I could say bordering on like psychosis, but I was having like images of like an imagine, like a sort of a life that I should be living quite clearly running alongside the life I was living. And I was sort of really struggling, getting to the point where I just didn't know what to do at all. And the story is it basically one day I was felt so stuck. I was felt in China as well as a long way from you. I didn't really know what to do. And I just had this feeling over and over again that I wasn't meant to be here, that I was in the wrong, you know, I was born by accident or I can't really explain it. Just this real sense that I am not meant to be on this planet. And one day I just thought, you know what, I need to work out if I should be here or not. And I just, I got on my bike and I was in like, you know, obviously quite a frantic mood. And I just got on my bike and I knew where I wanted to be. It was about, you know, about half an hour journey away. And I just cycled and I cycled and I cycled. And at that point I thought, if I get, you know, if I get to the destination, then that's a sign I'm meant to be here and I cycled it was horrendously dangerous and I do not recommend this necessarily but I I just cycled and I cycled at some points I closed my eyes I didn't stop for any red lights I like had you know had to swerve around cars and pedestrians and things it was and and I got there you know I got to the place I had in mind the destination and I got off my bike and I yeah, and I, I just went upstairs to back to my flat, and I just felt incredible. You know, I've had this real sense of ecstasy, and for about a year, I would say I didn't feel miserable. I felt maybe not quite, maybe six months or something. I felt, you know, oh, all that was just in the back past and now I'm a functioning human being I mean in hindsight looking back it, it totally definitely wasn't the case it, I think it was a plaster over a deep wound that needed a lot of healing a lot of medicine and still working on that now because you know those feelings came back those feelings came back and But yeah, I mean, it was, I guess it was a desperate person's attempt to find some meaning. I don't know what you feel when you hear that. I mean, I actually, I actually forgot, you know, that wasn't in my mind. I was having a therapy session a couple of years ago now. And suddenly, while I was talking in that therapy session, I suddenly remembered that bike ride. And I had never, I think, I don't think even afterwards, you know that feeling of like oh it's everything is fine that I felt momentarily after that I don't think I wasn't conscious of that it was only looking back so five years later when that memory came back that I, that I could sort of see all that but also clearly see that it wasn't the answer to my problems and actually when you have some deep sort of issues going on the the thing to do isn't do a suicidal bike ride it is to sort of well for me talk about it and I would assume for most people talking about it yeah it really captivated me listening to it and seeing it was kind of just throwing you know two sheets to the wind and thinking so be it 
if I'm supposed to make it to the other side, then I will. Um, and by hell or high water, you, you made it through red lights, through dodging traffic and zipping around. I suppose it's, again, it's another one of them. It captured my imagination. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you on that bike, you know. Um, I can I see like a, a short film made out of it uh, at some point. I think it's powerful. Thing, and I, and I, I guess that's why I'm still working out how to how to tell it in another capacity. I guess my worry is with that story that someone thinks that my, I'm advocating doing that. Just go do something crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah like and I then feel you've got like someone's like mother crap. who gets in touch with you. And yeah, like... and I'm not at all. I think it was a, like completely ridiculous. I mean, it was a stupid thing to do in hindsight, really. But I mean, I, you know, I, when you're in times of desperation, they... I mean, I wouldn't have been listening to anything like that. At that point, I was like quite locked into my own sort of um, darkness, I guess. Um, but anyway, I guess the thing I'm just saying is just that I'm not advocating doing that. Yeah. So please do not and, do that. And myself <laughs> as well, to anyone listening, not thinking, you know, go and do something totally insane. But uh, so talking about mental health then, you mentioned that yeah. that was something that, it was like a bandage over it, but it certainly gave you a release in somewhat for a period of time, whether it was six months yeah. or a year. What what has helped you um, with your own mental health? You mentioned a therapy session a while ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I'm, I'm interested to know, I've got my own perspective on that, but I'd love to hear. Because um, we've all got our own, you know, there's, some people might go and go off into the woods and do a, a ayahuasca yeah. ceremony for two weeks or other people because but yeah your perspective or what's really helped you well I guess actually and looking at it in that light I see that that story just told was part of the sort of me before I discovered anything that would help you know at that time I was also self-medicating with with alcohol then definitely and bef- previous to that I had sort of drugs and those sort of things and just pretty much having quite a hedonistic lifestyle to try and cover up the hurt and the pain and of of depression so i i guess that bike rider i would classify in that sort of self-medicating unhealthily category and they all you know that, like drinking and drugs and that sort of thing they they do sort of you know they are a temporary fix for pain but they're not one that is healthy or actually gets you through it it just covers it up and I think that's the thing well so the thing that main one the big thing that helped me was stopping that I don't drink alcohol and was and or take any sort of drug I don't take anything like uh um yeah because I felt that how can I be conscious of how I want to be in the world if I'm not clear in my mind and also it's just if you have depressive tendencies alcohol is a massive depressant depressant so it's not helpful so that was a really big step um uh yeah therapy I've done over the years quite a lot of therapy um talking therapies uh and like meditation that sort of thing uh being outside really helps me i try and live a life that involves being outside as much as possible i, I do at the moment live in the countryside and spend a lot of time outside uh and just being creative doing like art and things like that is really important to me and mainly the, the thing I work on so much and I still have to work on so much more is to just not care what other people think. And it's really difficult. I feel that's, I mean, for me, maybe that feels like that's the sort of the big one for living the life you need to live is to not care what other people think. And I, you know, I'm much better at that now than I ever was before, but still I catch myself wondering you know, or should I do this or will that sort of 
what will someone else think if I do that? And that's really unhelpful, you know, living your life thinking, how do I please or impress someone else is guaranteed to take you off the path to living the best life you can. But it's so hard. If you have the answer to that, <laughs> send it my way. Answers on a postcard, please. I, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's lots of lots of different ways. And I get, I guess the thing that I find, I always say this when I do the men's group, I sort of try to sort of ask people not to give advice unless advice is asked for, because I find generally it's really unhelpful to tell people when they're facing a problem just to launch into what helped you. <laughs> so I guess the point isn't, and I, and I know you believe this as well, the point isn't to say that, oh no, going outside will help you or doing this. It's to, it's to say like this helped me and you will find your way and your way exists and it's probably totally different. You know, like often people have sort of, when I was living in the van doing the mental health thing, they said, would you recommend doing this? And I'm like, well, yes, I would recommend. I would recommend sort of throwing off the shackles of a life you don't like and going and living in a van because it works for me. But I, I would recommend it for me. But I'm not going to tell you to do that because in six months time, I'll get a phone call and say, I'm living in a van and I'm parked in a field and I'm miserable and I hate it and I miss my life and why did you tell me to do this and like, yeah because it's not I can't tell you what I don't know enough about anyone apart from me and I barely know enough about myself yeah so um yeah but anyway th th those are some of the things that help me and for me you're listening maybe that'll help you maybe it'll make you feel angry <laughs> No, no. I, the, the, the thing that comes to me more than anything is the vulnerability to express how you're feeling. You're talking about mental health and depression in your life. And I think the more men particularly that can open up and speak about this, like, it's not really about saying what the solutions are. In a way, the solution is, is just talking, is us being open enough to talking about it. And for someone else to listen to and go, Jesus Christ, someone else feels the same as me someone else is going through those same feelings you know you look at like in our age group it's the, the like the suicide rates in men in you know the 20 to 40 bracket you know it's really it's it's worrying it's a worry it's a worrying sign and i often think if more of us are it brings me back to that term you know big boys don't cry and we're, we're sort of that's ingrained in us from such an early age because we need to be strong we need to stand up for ourselves. so anytime emotions come up for us it's like you know just push them gap down like for instance if you see a, a, a three or four year old boy or girl you know the boy boy's gonna cry just as much as the girl you know it's like there's no yeah. there's no saying you know just you know come on big boys don't cry and and from that moment that's just letting you know it's not okay to feel your feelings to not express how you're feeling and each time that happens it's just it just gets pushed down pushed down and then layer upon layer and if we're not careful we'll never actually find how far that's been pushed down because we just end up walking around feeling numb or in pain walking around in pain i think that's um like if we go remember when we uh earlier we talked about that sort of the sort of difference between like sort of the metaphorical smashing up of your life and the and the sort of the actual physical in terms of sort of possessions and belongings and that sort of thing but actually one of the things which I realized at that time those years ago when I sort of made these changes was that I mean that that that's sort of those suicide statistics around men and stuff they really were one of the things that drove the project I was doing and still informs the sort of men's work I do today because there was a time when I was living in Brighton which I felt really suicidal and I mean I've talked about it. it's not this isn't a revelation I've talked about it and created stories around that and I realized at some point this I'd had this sort of the querying idea that like of, of death of needing to die or something and I realized that I had a very narrow view and I and actually 
something did need to die, but it wasn't a physical death. It was a metaphorical death. It was the, I need to let go of this person that I'm trying to hold on to that is not allowing me to be the person I need to be. And it was an incredible revelation for me at the time. And still, I mean, it's still important that, you know, that, yeah, actually I did. There was a death involved, but it certainly wasn't the the final ultimate one that I had in mind and that leads a lot of men, men and women, but men statistically like more likely to 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 uh, to suicide and things like that. And yeah, I think uh, talking helps you let go of that person, you know, let go of the the pain and allows you to, you know, I don't know how to term it to sort of, yeah, to be sort of a rebirth, like a renaissance of yourself into the into a new form, and then and then you realise at some point you need to let that person go as well, and it's this constant um, cycle of, sort of life and death, I guess, of letting the part of you that needs to die die and to be reborn as the new version of yourself and that's one of the strongest revelations I've read. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why I found being in nature really helpful because you see, ever, if you spend enough time outside, you see the cycles of nature doing exactly that, dying and being reborn over and over again. And realize that's, that's like the law of the universe all around us. You can see it in nature and it's true to us as well but it's yes. not i mean ultimately in the end it's obviously a physical thing but we need to practice through our metaphorical ones first and hopefully for as long as we can yeah absolutely i um just want to say i acknowledge you really and i really appreciate you know what you're doing like i very much get uh a lot out of the men's groups that I think I've maybe come, I started maybe towards the end of last year and maybe I've come to about three or four. Um, and I just love the, the opportunity to have a safe space. And I think particularly during the lockdowns and stuff, and um, it, you realise how how isolated we were and how alone we could feel. And, how we, and, and, and the thing for me, what it can do is, us going for what we have done the past few years it, it's really allowing us to to recognize what's really important for us and what what we need in our lives most of us have the, all these wants but what is it that we actually need and for me it's connect connection is is so important to, to to be with people who can who will listen to me because i think that's the great thing about often i think eckhart tolle will talk about it often you know we'll be in conversations and we're already thinking of the next thing. We're just going to jump in and say, you know, I need to get my part of that story. But to, you know, when someone's truly listening to you, you know, you can just, you can see it them in that they've just got that presence. And that's why it's great if you are, go to therapy or counsellors and stuff. If you can get a really good one who allows you just to be in that presence for you just to, to be for those moments and just to feel heard is... Um, is much needed and i that's what i very much get out of it and i feel like we could probably keep I could, maybe there's a there's a round two of this podcast at some point and um maybe we'll do one in person i very much want to meet you in person i think that's the the thing as well let's come off the back of it and we've spoken maybe we can touch on it about community and i think we've both got a bit of a drawing to to the welsh hills at some point you know like feeling I don't know if it's Pembrokeshire or North Wales or Snowdonia or um, that area in the centre down the bottom. I can't remember the area. Um, Monmouthshire, was it? Yeah. Pardon? I've just, me and my wife, just been around Wales exploring. We've been to yeah, around Pembrokeshire and the Brecon yeah. Beacons and stuff. So, yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah. find anyway. You're, we will meet in person. Maybe your van, when your van is ready, you can come and stay with us. That sounds good. I'll definitely. Well, you can come and stay with us without your van, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And could you share then you want somewhere you to take your van? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned about um, 
if you could just get a little, give a little bit of a, a recap or overview of the the things that you've got coming up, how if people, if they listen to this, wanted to maybe tap into one of the events or something, it'd be really great and how they can, what they are and yeah. actually how they can, how they can find them. Yeah. I mean, the best way to find out is uh, through my website, which is uh, my name is www.marcuspibworth.com. And then I also, or, or Instagram is probably the other best place, which is Marcus Pibworth Storyteller. And, and I'll post things on there coming up. The, I mean, the, the next thing is um, on the 10th of March, I have, we have the second Mythic Fathers. I don't know when this is going out. So you, yeah. 10th of March is Mythic Fathers and the Mythic Fathers will happen the first, hopefully the first week of every month, around the first week of every month um so that's a space for fathers specifically to storytelling share a myth and do some of what we talked about earlier sort of stopping the stories and reflecting uh, i have got some stories for men coming up but i haven't set the dates yet so check the website and then at the last tuesday of every month is the is the free men's group we do via zoom so any men that are listening are Welcome to get in touch. Uh, I do also tell stories not for men, by the way. Just, but uh, just, uh, I guess that's the sort of the area that I've been focusing on. As I said, like I create the spaces I feel like I need. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate. It. Thank you, Marcus, for your your willingness to show up and to be brave and to be vulnerable and to take the road less travelled at times and to. Um, break free of um break free of those you know that old self to to realize what what what's actually possible and um yeah and, and to enjoy it so i really appreciate you you uh, you inspire me so thank you thank you rob thanks for having me there is my chat with marcus pibworth all wrapped up um fascinating guy uh, fascinating storyteller fascinating story to his life and um yeah i hope you want to enjoyed that one um and yeah thank you for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast please share it with a friend if you're listening to it on apple Podcasts, i'd really appreciate it a review that would be amazing and uh yeah you know um yeah thank you as always for uh, tuning in i really appreciate each and every one of you and until next time have a good one.